0: Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for the morning. Uh, We thank you for this time of year uh, where we can uh, celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus and the difference that it makes in our lives and uh, the impact that it has. And uh, I know that as I've just talked to people, uh, I have uh, sensed again and again um, that this is uh, another Christmas that feels off or different or unusual. Um, And uh, I just want to um, pray for us as a church that we would, uh, despite our circumstances, find a way to, to celebrate and remember uh, the most important thing this time of year, the, the birth of Jesus. Uh, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want you to kind of think about as uh, Christmas approaches in just a couple of weeks, uh, as you think about your past, what is your favorite meal at Christmas Uh, what is your favorite uh, thing to eat? Uh, It may be a roasted turkey or a holiday ham. Uh, In Japan, uh, which is kind of where we're going to kind of start today, in Japan it's all about the kernel and it's all about fried chicken, believe it or not. Uh, When the first KFC opened in Japan in 1970, uh, the owner of KFC in Japan was trying to figure out a way to kind of Uh, get some traction uh, with KFC, because in uh, Japanese culture at that point, they weren't super familiar uh, with Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so he developed this idea one day while taking a shower of having the Christmas party barrel. And he would encourage uh, all the people of Japan uh, to order fried chicken for their Christmas feast. And in 1974, he launched the concept uh, with a new campaign called Kentucky for Christmas, And the idea went over huge. It actually went over so big that to this day, about 3.6 million Japanese families will celebrate uh, their Christmas feast with Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, The party barrels have been redesigned as Christmas dinner packages. And uh, Christmas in Japan for, for Kentucky Fried Chicken, it constitutes about one third of their annual sales in a year so they 're really, really dependent on on Christmas uh, to be to be successful and if you 're ever in Japan and you 're thinking about ordering it, most people have to start ordering uh, their chicken dinners in Japan uh, weeks and even months in advance, otherwise, you are literally waiting for hours at a KFC uh, to get fried chicken so again, what is your favorite holiday meal for for Is it ham? Is it turkey uh, for me uh, when it comes to christmas i 'm a red meat guy. I like a good prime rib uh, for on Christmas Day. Uh, But whether you're a turkey person or a ham person or a red meat person, I I think we may have some disagreement there, but we can all agree on pie, right? That pie is the way to go for dessert, specifically pumpkin. If we can't agree on that, I'm praying for you, all right? Um, (laughs) And honestly, as we kind of think about this kind of element of Japanese culture, I love to think about the idea of your Christmas table because what you eat at Christmas really is not that important. It's really not that big of a deal. But I want you to think about who you share it with. Uh, every one of us in this room, we have one thing in common. Uh, we have a people, right? We, we have a people. Some of those people you were born into and there's really not much you can do about it, right? You were born into this people. Uh, they are literal family. Uh, some of you, your table consists more of people that you have learned to love like family. Uh, but you have a table, you have a people, you have a group of people that you're traveling through uh, life with, and Christmas is a time where at some point, in some context, you will probably find yourself, like we will later today, you will probably find yourself sitting at a table around a group of people or multiple people. You'll share a table with someone at some point during the holiday, most likely. It was always interesting to me that when Jesus came, He came to earth. He didn't come as a lone ranger. God could have done it that way. He could have come as a standalone kind of figure, and he could have done his work as a lone ranger. But instead, Jesus was born into a people. He was born into a community. And like I said, God could have done it any way, but he chose to have his son Jesus born into a family. So I had to think about Jesus growing up for in a minute, and I want you to think about the table that he shared with his family, and the people that were sitting around that table. You have people like Mary, his mother would have been sitting around that table, and we actually don't know a ton about Mary, we know a few things, but we know that when she was pregnant she wrote a song, let me share with you part of the song that she sang, it said Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So here's what we know about, well, here's what we know about the first person kind of sitting at Jesus' table when he was growing up. We know that his, Mary, uh, his mother Mary was humble. She was a servant. I picture Mary being the person at the table, and I think every table, every family table has a person like this, but I picture Mary being the person around the table that makes sure everyone is taken care of. I also picture Mary being the person at the table, because she was humble, being the person that invites other people to participate in conversation. I picture Mary saying, hey, tell me how your work is going. Tell me how your schooling is going. Tell me how your life is going. Because that requires a certain amount of humility, right? I'm not going to monopolize the conversation. I'm not going to take over the table. But instead, I'm going to pry and invite you to participate in conversation. It requires a ton of humility. And I can see Mary being a person at the table that really viewed the table as an opportunity to invest in others. You might have someone at your table that's just like that. Let's consider another person at Jesus' table, his father, Joseph. Again, we don't know a ton about him, but here's how Matthew records his story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was, to be found, she was found to be with, uh, to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law, other translations say he was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The second person seated at Jesus' table, Joseph, he was a righteous man. He was a good man. And I picture Joseph being the guy uh, around the table that he talks about issues of righteousness. That you are not gonna believe what happened at work today. You are not gonna believe what I saw in the market today. You are not gonna believe what I read in the news today. It's not right. Or it's wrong. Issues of right and wrong. And you might have someone at your table that is just like that. Another person at Jesus' table would have been his siblings. Uh, so after Jesus' miraculous birth, Mary and Joseph end up getting married. And they, began, uh, to st- they started their family and they began to have other children. So Jesus had these, I guess you call them half-siblings, right? Uh, I, again, we don't know a ton about them. But here's we know that one of them was James. Uh, who wrote a book in the New Testament. And let me show you what it said about Jesus's siblings in one text. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus's brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one wants to become a public figure. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since do, you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And you might think, man, His brothers were good-hearted. They're looking out for him. But then verse 7 tells us their real motive. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. His own brothers did not believe in him. And before you chew hard on them, I want you to consider for a minute, what would your sibling have to do to prove to you they were the savior of the world? I know they're not perfect. Your siblings aren't. And Jesus was. But exactly what would your sibling have to do to prove that to you? You say, well, raised from the dead. Exactly, right? Um, And we know that's exactly what did did it for Jesus' siblings. Regardless of that, though, I wonder, and this is just me surmising, if there was a little bit of family tension around the table in regards to Jesus. I wonder if his brothers ever found themselves muttering to themselves, man, when it comes to Jesus, when it it comes to mom and dad in, in relation to Jesus, He walks on water. Yep. He can do no wrong. Exactly. He's the golden child. Exactly true. But I wonder, don't you, if there was a little bit of core tension that existed at the family table, and it's probably not exactly like that. But maybe you've experienced that around your table. Maybe you're experiencing that at your that at your table this year. uh, This year, in particular, that there's a tension. There's a sibling rivalry that exists. There's a bitterness that has set in. Maybe the tension isn't because someone is so good, like in Jesus' case. Maybe the tension is that someone's done something that's not good, and they're going to be there at Christmas, and it's hard when there's a a tension. It's hard when you look around the table and you have this thought like Jesus had. I'm not sure these people really believe in me. And your temptation is to react in anger. So Jesus grew up around, this is the table he grew up around. A humble mother, a righteous father, an unbelieving sibling group. And what's true for all of us, as he got older, his table expanded, right? Uh, as we get older, our table tends to expand. We, we don't, uh, it expands beyond our family that you grow up in a nuclear family. And as you get older, you make friends, you start a job, you have colleagues, you, you develop close friends that you start attending a church and hopefully they become like your family. Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30, and pretty pretty soon he had people following him that believed in him. He had disciples, and his table expanded beyond his humble mother, his righteous father, his unbelieving sibling group, and he began to share a table with more and more people. He shared a table with a guy named Peter. Peter was loud. He's the loud one at the table, right? You might have someone like this at your table. Loud. Loud expressive. Peter was the one who in the middle of the night, they were out on a boat and they saw Jesus walking on the water. Peter was the one who jumped out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Peter was the one that when Jesus was describing how everybody was going to turn their back on him, uh, Peter was the one before that happened. He said, listen, if everybody leaves you, Jesus, I will never leave you. And Peter was the one when Jesus was being led to the cross, and the crowd recognized Peter as a follower of Jesus. He called down curses on the crowd and said, "I never knew the man." And it was Peter after the resurrection when he re- he's out on a boat and he recognizes Jesus on the shore. He cries out, "It is the Lord!" and he jumps into the water and he swims to shore. He's emotive. He's expressive. And maybe you have someone like that at your Christmas table. I remember one time we were driving around uh, with Cheryl's sister. And I have a very verbal family, right? We had Sam and he was very, very verbal. And then Lila was born and we said, oh, we kind of wonder if she'll be less verbal. Nope. (laughs) We raise verbal children. We like to talk. And we're driving in the car with Cheryl's sister, and I'm talking to Sam. Sam's talking to Cheryl. Lila's talking to me. Cheryl's talking to Lila. All this crosstalk is happening. It's a typical day for us, but we get to our destination, and Cheryl's sister said, I feel like I was just in an episode of The View, right? (laughs) And our family's that way, right? Do you have some people at your table that are emotional and expressive, if you do, you know that sometimes that emotion is a delight. It's a lot of fun. And sometimes that emotion is a challenge. Jesus shared a table with Peter. Then if you take another step over from Peter, you've got Judas. Jesus shared a table with Judas, his betrayer. Judas was a man in his inner circle that got hung up on money and stuff and things and it ended up being his undoing, and what slays me about Judas' presence at the table is that Jesus knew for a long time that Judas was gonna betray him, and he still ate with him. He would later wash his feet. Jesus shared a table with the man who would betray him. Then if you take another step over, you've got James and John. Mark 3.17 says that these two guys, James and John, they had a very interesting nickname in culture, Sons of Thunder, right? Which is apparently uh, a nod to their bold and aggressive personalities. Now, we don't know for sure how they got these nicknames. It may have been because when they were at a Samaritan village uh, and that Samaritan village rejected Jesus, it was James and John that suggested Jesus call down fire from heaven and destroy the city. It's like, whoa, dudes, sons of thunder, calm. Calm yourself down, right? Right? And it could have been because of this story in Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him a favor. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on the left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am about to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will and do you drink from my cup? But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The apostles are mad at the sons of thunder, not their mom because they knew what was behind this was the ambition of James and John. These guys were bold. They were aggressive. Do you have anyone at your table that's like this? bold and aggressive. It's the person at the table that sometimes during the holiday meal, you look at them and say, hey, decaf. Decaf. Settle down. You're getting worked up. They might be getting worked up about politics or life or vaccine mandates, mask mandates, all that stuff. They get worked up a lot. You know why? Because they care a lot. And we know he didn't stop there with James and John. He shared a table with tax collectors. He shared a table with sinners. He's often accused of being just like them. And you know what you and I have in common with Jesus? We were born into a people. We were born into a community. And the Bible is filled with passages that describe when we're seated at at a table with either nuclear family or people that are like our family, when we're seated at a table, when we're walking through life with our people, how are we to treat them? The Bible is filled with passages that talk about how to be like Jesus within your people. Here's what Colossians 3 says. I want to share one with you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he says, before you sit down to a meal this year, before you sit down to a table, you might be tempted to get kind of dressed up. And so before you sit down, make sure to clothe yourselves in compassion. The original language is less kind of Christmassy and fun, but the original language says, man, Uh, Clothe yourselves with the bowels of mercy. You gotta say it that way. You can't just say bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy, right? In other words, here's what he's saying. Approach your table with understanding. That the people seated at the table, they have a background, they have a story, there are reasons why they are the way they are. And we're hesitant to do this because we think it justifies their behavior. And it doesn't. It doesn't justify it. But it provides understanding. And compassion and mercy, they flow from understanding. So he says, when you approach your table this year, whatever table you're at, in whatever context you're at, approach it, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with kindness and gentleness. I don't know if you've noticed, but kindness is kind of disappearing from our culture a little bit. I hope that's not a newsflash, right? Right? We are losing our sense of kindness. Uh, The reason that we have lost our sense of kindness is that we have been in a state of panic for years. And when you're in a state of panic, your decision-making decreases, and your kindness quotient also decreases. So here's what's happening in our culture. We're speaking the way we feel. And there was a time three years ago where we would feel something but we wouldn't feel free to express it out loud. But because we've been living up here for so long, now that's kind of gone away and now it's like, well, if I feel something, I need to express it. Not always, right? We're speaking the way we feel. And I think that we would be well served this Christmas holiday season to dial it down just a couple matches as a culture, maybe disengage a little bit from media and enjoy our table and bring kindness to our table. Humility. It says, clothe ourselves in humility to be a bit like Mary. At your table this year, uh, be like Mary and seek to invest in others. Seek to listen. You will learn and enjoy the people in your life in a whole new and different way if you just will listen. Hear their story. Hear their hear their, their story that maybe they've told you four or five times already, listen to it again and, and learn about them. Uh, you'll, you'll see people in a whole new and different way. It says, be patient and bear with one another. The Greek word here is long-suffering. At your table, put up with a lot. And our culture kind of celebrates in a weird way the opposite of this. We have these phrases like, I don't suffer fools, right? Right? When I disagree with someone, I let them have it. And it's based in this pride that demands to be right, and it demands that you agree with me. And humility allows for patience. Because humility says, I don't really need to convince you of anything. I don't really have to be right about anything or everything. And humility also says, spoiler alert, I am most likely not right. And then Paul ends it with, and above all this, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Cheryl and I were, we got sucked into this documentary uh, a couple weeks ago uh, that was, I think, on Apple. And it was uh, uh, this story about this Idaho town where the neighbors started fighting about Christmas lights. Uh, And this guy had moved into this new neighborhood, and he wanted to put on one of these dramatic light displays where my wife always says that if I were not scared of heights, this would be me, right? I just can't, my roof is super up there, so I can't get up there to do it, but I would go nuts, honestly, with lights. And this, that's this guy. He wanted to have people come through by the thousands to come through and enjoy his Christmas lights, and the neighbors didn't want it. It was a nuisance. It was a violation of their HOA agreement in short, and they got into this huge argument about it. And eventually, lawsuits were filed, and today, date, this man and his neighbors have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in court fighting about Christmas lights. And what I found so interesting was the guy said, all I want to do, this was kind of his quote, all I want to do is have a light display that gives honor and glory to Jesus. I'm like, there's a disconnect here. You would be well, so much better served to give honor and glory to Jesus by loving your neighbor. By loving your neighbor. Half of the commandments in scripture are about loving God. The other half are about loving your neighbor and both parties had lost sight of it. Loving your neighbor would have been a way better testimony to Jesus than a light show. So the tables you sit at this Christmas season, the community that you're a part of, you are going to sit at a table and you are going to hear different political opinions. You're going to hear different social opinions. You're going to hear different spiritual opinions. And it makes our tables beautifully awkward. But one thing is true of every person at that table. We are called to love our neighbor. And if we'll approach our tables with that mindset of when I sit at this table on Christmas day or leading up to Christmas, whatever time it is that you sit at a table, if I'm going to approach this table, not with a, I need to win mindset, not with, I need to prove something mindset, not I need to defeat this person mindset, but I am called to love these people. I am called to love them the way that Christ has loved me. I think it will change everything, and I think it will change our Christmas. This is the moment in our service when we receive communion that kind of centers us on this idea of what Jesus came to do and and what he accomplished. So let me pray over communion, and then I'll set it up and we'll receive it together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice and his grace and the fact that he has forgiven us. Um, We thank you for the example that Jesus set as he sat down at tables. All throughout the scriptures, he sat down at tables and interacted with people. And we learn so much about how we are to behave at our table. Because at every table that we sit in, there's going to be a difference of opinion. Politically, socially, and spiritually. Things are going to be expressed that we don't agree with. And the temptation is to want to prove a point, to defeat, to make sure we're, we're heard and that we are declared right. But we know that our highest calling is to love. And that is awkward and messy and difficult to figure out. But we pray that you will help us to do it. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to remember and honor this moment right now. Uh, that Jesus went to a cross to show us grace and love and forgiveness. We're going to pass out the trays. You can uh, receive your communion and just kind of hold on to it and spend some time with Jesus, thanking him for his work on the cross. And then I'll come back up here in just a minute and we'll receive it uh, together as a church family. His body given for you, his blood poured out. I want to remind us this morning that um, this is not uh, just a cup of remembrance. It is a cup of calling that we would love and we would show grace and we would forgive like the scripture says the way that Christ has forgiven us. And um, it's a great opportunity this time of year while we're interacting. You know, the table's just a metaphor obviously but the, when we're interacting and spending time with people to approach that table the same way Christ approached his uh, with honor and love and respect. Uh, I want to reread this over us as we get ready to leave this place and, and go down for lunch. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God bless.